listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, this evening we have a um, special treat, Francis, and at the request of uh, our listeners to focus a little bit more on some of the lesser-known saints. Uh, Francis, by now you are, of course, well-known, so uh, let me go ahead and introduce you as one working towards sainthood. Yes, How are I you am. this evening, Francis? <laughs> I'm overjoyed to be with you in this Easter tide and pondering this great radiance of the Lord that's piercing the darkness that surrounds us. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, in fact, uh, I did want to spend just a few minutes this evening, once we uh, open with prayer, uh, talking about our Holy Father and the example and the impact he's already having. I have an interesting little story to share, but why don't we begin with prayer as we do each week? Okay, this is um, an opening prayer for the Mass for Blessed Maria Josefa Naval Gerbet, uh, a secular discalce Carmelite who we're discussing tonight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. O God, though the new leaven of the gospel, or through the new leaven of the gospel, you call men and women and empower them to serve you faithfully in secular life, grant that they may fervently imitate the example of Blessed Josepha, and through her intercession, work tirelessly as true Christians to build up your kingdom by fulfilling their duties in the world. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, now, I know that you wanted to start the program off after our prayer. Uh, with something else. Uh, a little humor. Yeah, <laughs> a little, little holy humor, I guess we'll call it. Yes, this, I want to tell you and the, our listening audience the best April Fool joke of all time. And, and I want you to know I did not make this up, okay? This comes from the musings of um, one of the early church fathers, St. Augustine. And, and it is the practical joke that God played on the devil by raising Jesus from the dead. <laughs> I don't hear any laughter, Francis. Jeez, I don't know why, but I hear your laughter, so that's good enough for me. Oh, wait, they're laughing in the studio. Yes, I can see over there. They're all laughing in the studio. Okay. All right. Well, um, we are on April Fool's, but I promise that we won't have any... um, um, shenanigans this evening on yeah. the show we have the actually only, a, the only fool we're talking yeah. about are the, are the fools for christ yes the saints, exactly the right. I'll, I'll gladly raise my hand as a member of that group um our uh, uh profile if you will this evening is as i said at the request of um, some of our listeners not just one uh, to introduce more of the uh, saints and the blessed of Carmel, perhaps some of the lesser known. This, I suspect, uh, will be uh, somebody who is not well known at all, uh, perhaps outside of Spain, uh, where the blessed um, uh, we'll be talking about this evening hails from. And I'm going to let you go ahead and pronounce her name, Francis. Blessed Josefa Naval Gerbes. And I'm not sure that's the correct way to pronounce it. And again, that uh, pronunciation of Blessed uh, Josefa Naval Gerbes. Um, and if we are uh, pronouncing that improperly, I have a, a number of good Spanish friends who I know listen to the program. 
They may want to correct our town, too, because I'm not sure how you pronounce. Um, I, it's from the area of Valencia, Spain, but it's Algamensi. Algamensi? Something like that. Because yeah. uh, her, her nickname is Guardian Angel of Algamensi. And that is the, I don't know if it's a city, a province, or, or just a municipal town, or, or how that works in Spain. But anyway. Well, we have a lot to cover on her, despite the fact, Francis, as you and I are discussing before we came on the air, she lived a very simple life. And this is a woman who was a secular, we should point that out first, I think that's important, uh, a secular Carmelite, someone who had um, joined the Carmelite order in uh, the local town where she lived and lived that Carmelite life her whole life, but did so as a secular, uh, which we know many of our listeners uh, uh, do as well, uh, or perhaps some of our listeners aspire to do. And I don't know that you could find a better model uh, that we've spoken about anyway uh, of someone who lived the a Carmelite life in the world, uh, as we refer to it, an apostolic contemplative. In fact, she had two vocations. She she vowed herself at age 18 as a virgin, and then she also had made this commitment to the Discalced Carmelite seculars. And so she lived both of those out with great zeal, with great prayer, and great love of God and neighbor. Uh, let me say first, too, if you want to learn more about this particular uh, blessed. Uh, there is a book about her. I couldn't find it, Francis. I went looking for it. I suspect it may only be in Spanish, uh, but it's entitled The Surf of God, uh, uh, Josefa Naval Garbez, and it was written by a, a, a priest named Bernardo Asensi Cubeles. Uh, and that was in 1962. So there may be copies of that available, especially if you are um, uh, fluent in Spanish. But um, let's cover some of the the uh, quick details of her life. When was she born, Francis? Okay, well, I believe it was in December. Let me get my notes here. December the 11th in 1820. Mm-hmm. That's when she was born and baptized right away. Uh, at that time, they wanted to baptize the babies as soon as they can. And she was the oldest of five children, right? I think she was the oldest. I'm not sure. But her, her parents were Francisco Naval Carrasco and Josefa Garbez. So uh, somehow she stays with the maiden name of her mother, which is interesting. And then she has the five brothers and sisters, some of whom died in their youth. And um, so it was a trying time. Yeah, the the um, biographical s- sketch indicates there were actually two uh, younger sisters, both named Maria Joaquim. Now, what happens uh, at this time, of course, is the older uh, of the two died first, and then another child was born, and they named her the same, uh, Maria Joaquim. And then Vincente, her uh, her first brother, Peregrina, uh, another brother, and then a younger uh, Josefa. Now, in fairness, uh, the Josefa we're talking about is actually Maria Josefa. Maria Josefa, uh, right. And then there was a Josefa. So uh, just to keep the names straight, there were five children. She was the oldest of the five, and as uh, Francis said, in Algamisi, Valencia province in Spain, uh, 1820. And she died when, Francis? Okay, she died on the 24th of February in 1893, she was, um, at that time, 73, 74 years old. 73, right. Yeah. So at, 
for this time, in fairness, that was a fairly full life. Right. I don't know what the average um, lifespan was at that time, but she lived a fairly full life. Uh, but as we're going to share, um, not a particularly uh, dynamic life. She didn't travel broadly. She was reasonably well-educated, but um, her... Um, efforts were confined mainly to creating what we, I guess, would call uh, a quasi-convent in her own home uh, as a secular. And we'll talk a little bit about the nature of her apostolic work and um, uh, the community that she reached out to, That the, the uh, uh, individuals that she worked with mostly uh, in her spiritual work. And she did have a, a nickname by those who followed her. They called her Senora Pepa, P-E-P-A. I don't know what that means in Spanish. I didn't look that up, but um, I like it. So they called her Pepa. <laughs> now, I think you shared when she was eight years old, she received the Sacrament of Confirmation. Which was uh, unusually early for that early, time. Right. And in and, 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 it was unusual to, for us here in America, anyway, that you would have confirmation before communion. But that's the way they did it there. So the following year, um, at age uh, nine, nine. Mm-hmm. she has her first communion. And uh, again, this is normally, even then, was normally done around age 11. So she was a couple years advanced um, already in um, her youth in terms of uh, her sacraments, receipt of the sacraments. And we don't know why. Um, it wasn't mentioned in the articles that we researched uh, why that was. but um. No, but there was the indication that she seemed to have a very uh, deep spiritual life, even as a young child. She was familiar with the parish priests, and of course at that time there were uh, multiple priests in the parish. Uh, we're more challenged with that today, but uh, nonetheless she seems uh, to have developed a relationship. She received spiritual direction as a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old receiving spiritual direction uh, from the local parish priest, who also is the one who taught her uh, mental prayer. And, you know, what a tribute to our parish priest. You know, here uh, she has no issues with any parish priest whatsoever. She's always very obedient to them and singing their praises and encouraging um, others to pray for them, which is what all Carmelites are asked to do is to pray for our priest. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, um, maybe a teaching that gets lost sometimes, but we should reiterate it. One of the most important missions that all Carmelites have is to pray for priests. I think perhaps uh, Therese of Lisieux uh, carried this uh, to the fullest and helps us understand in some of her writings the importance of our pay, pr- uh, praying for parish priests. You know, our Holy Father, and I said I wanted to mention a few things about him, uh, wonderful celebration for Easter, yes. um, wonderful homily, a brief and to the point, uh, compelling, uh, very clear what uh, message he's trying to communicate about defense of the poor, about humility, uh, about accepting our, our crosses, whatever they might be. Uh, but also the idea, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody over the weekend, and they were saying, you know, this man says so much just by his actions. Yes. And and this, uh, um, actually, I was speaking with another person today who is a non-Catholic who said, well, I, I feel better about the state of the world now because of the Pope that we have. Uh, and I, I found that very encouraging. Uh, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, is 
Uh, certainly setting the example. He's communicating, but he's setting the example, I think, as much by his actions um, as to what he's calling the church to right now. And this is um, a, a natural transition from Benedict. We don't want to suggest in any way that uh, the church wasn't um, doing everything it needed to do, but we recognize the challenge we're facing. <clears throat> and I think our Holy Father is calling us back to um, the defense of the poor, uh, to a life of prayer, uh, and to humility, perhaps more important than anything. And I think single eye, a single eye like Blessed Elizabeth the Trinity with that single focus on Christ mm-hmm. and that simplicity and silence. Yeah. And we're going to see some of that uh, reflected in our Blessed this evening. In fact, I would argue, Francis, that she echoes not only some of the themes of the Second Vatican Council, uh, which is drawn out in this article, uh, but is very consistent with what our Holy Father is teaching us today. But she had an incident in her young life that you said is uh, reminiscent of so many of our great Carmelite yes, saints. At, and what was that? At age 13, her mother dies. And so, she, of course, she's um, uh, heartbroken over that. And she goes to the, the local church um, and prays to the Blessed Mother. And it was the Dominican Friars Monastery, I guess. And she is assured that the Blessed Mother would never abandon her. And, you know, so many of our great saints in Carmel, they have lost a parent. And it's it's just uncanny. I'm like, is that a job requirement? You know, I hope not. But anyway, um, you know, so this gives them a special insight to uh, parenting and the need for heavenly guidance. And uh, they're very sensitive to the need for mothers and fathers because they're, they've lost one. Yeah, and so often it does appear to be the mother. Certainly um, there are instances where our great saints have lost their father as well, but perhaps later in life. Um, but the loss of the mother leaves a gaping hole, I think, in anybody's life for those yeah. who've experienced it, and we have uh, great sympathy for that. But we also have encouragement, and that is turn to the Blessed Mother. Yes. Uh, we can't say this enough, and I know we have, and we perhaps, Francis, need to spend... Uh, an entire program talking about the role of the Blessed Mother. But suffice to say, because we have a great deal to cover, uh, she found great con- uh, consolation in um, being assured that the Blessed Mother would never abandon her and would, in fact, take her on as her own daughter. In fact, she goes in <clears throat> with her father and her brother and sisters to live with their maternal grandmother. And so um, she has a great place in the household, she is taking care of all, a lot of these domestic duties mm-hmm. of taking care of the house and also overseeing the younger children, caring her, for her grandmother who was sick. And she did all of these things without complaint, without um, abandoning her life of prayer. And her grandmother dies when she's 27. So she has, what, about 14 years mm-hmm. uh, of this kind of service in the home. So right away she makes um, a decision and gives example, begins to live out um, what she understands is this call, uh, this spiritual uh, call, which she actually received from her mother before her mother passed away. It says that her mother was her first real spiritual guide in addition to the parish priest. And there's this statement about her that she did not make concessions to the routine of her life or to fatigue. And, you know, I I, uh, think it's a good uh, moment to pause and challenge both ourselves and our listeners on how committed are we? And this is a question, of course, we can only ask and answer for ourselves. How committed are we to our spiritual life? How committed are we to union with God? How committed are we to building that relationship with our Lord and Savior? And I would say 
here that, again, like St. Therese of Lisieux has taught us, it's the little things that matter. Everything you just cited, Francis, are the day-to-day activities, her duties, her housekeeping, uh, taking care of an aging grandmother before she passed, later taking care of her father before he passed away. These are the circumstances of life. There's nothing phenomenal here. And many of our listeners are in those very same situations. And, of course, our society often looks down at the the parent who stays back to take care of, of the home, the domestic engineer, as I like to say. But, you know, here is the place where um, Josepha made it a place of sanctity because, you know, God is everywhere. Whether your job is away or whether your job is at home, God is there with you. And in every moment of every day, like Josepha, she saw as coming from the Lord all the events of her life. I couldn't help but think of St. Therese when she talks about, um, you know, how all of the little chores of her daily life, done with great love, represent the means of her sanctification. What a powerful message. I mean, for all of us, um, I think so many of us get caught up in this idea that, well, if I'm going to be sanctified, if I'm going to be holy, I'm going to need to spend so many hours a day in the chapel, and I'm going to need to read, and I'm going to need to go out and do great works of charity for the church. Here's a woman who largely, for her 72 years, stayed within her own home. We'll talk a little bit about her ministry. Um, But most especially, her very life was an example of living out the gospel. Yes, and she was very simple and very modest. She smiled a lot. Um, she had a very soft, caressing voice. Um, she uh, did dress appropriate for those days, um, you know, very moderate. And um, she did exemplify this life committed to God. I mean, she made that vow at 18, and she fulfilled it. Now, you said that a moment ago, and just want to make sure we we are clear about that. So she consecrates herself to Jesus. She consecrates herself to virginity at the age of 18, certainly uh, mature enough to have made that decision, and it was confirmed by her spiritual director Mm -hmm. that this was the direction that he wanted her to pursue. Uh, Of course, this in no way uh, absolves those of us who have chosen the married life to our individual pursuit of holiness. It certainly Uh, can be achieved in the context of uh, married life as well. But she then begins her ministry, what largely becomes her ministry, and what is that? To teach young girls the Christian doctrine, and through embroidery. (laughs) She'd invite them into their home and teach them about this needlework, and then start speaking of God and the church and the faith. And, you know, it, it just blossomed from there. So it's a simple thing. It's an embroidery school, and she invites the, the um, young ladies of the town in where she teaches them about embroidery, which she had taught herself. And she uses the conversation, which inevitably flows out of the, you know, hours, I would imagine, of... Um, of engaging in the activity of embroidery, she uses that conversation time to begin to teach them the faith and to begin to teach them the principles of what it means to live an interior life. And again, you know, stressing, these are not uh, uh, great things. They don't appear to be particularly uh, significant events. But for her, um, it was all that she needed uh, in order to begin to pursue sanctification. Yeah, so she didn't have like a million dollars and go build a a foundation somewhere. She um, did this with the means at hand. You know, God will give you everything you need to fulfill the mission he has given you. I I do just want to say something about her passing to give folks context of who we're talking about uh, and how she's viewed in the church today. Now, you gave the year. What year did she 
She died in the year 1893. And uh, her remains were placed at that time uh, in the uh, temporary niche that had been uh, provided for her in 1902. Um, and there she remained incorrupt, uh, yes. by the way, the article we, says. So yeah, we have another you got to explain what that is, because uh, that's a word that many people don't run across. Yeah, in- incorrupt, of course, is that the condition of the body remains largely as it had been in life. The tissue remains moist. The color remains the same. Um, it is the... Uh, one indication uh, that there's something special. I don't want to get into the, theo- the theology of this, but there's something special about this person, and their life is certainly worth e- examining. And her body remained incorrupt until it was transferred to the parish uh, on of October Saint James. of Saint mm-hmm. James mm-hmm. on October twentieth, nineteen forty-six. Um, and the Archbishop of, of Valencia at that time began the cause for her beatification. Now, um, she was ultimately beatified. Uh, first given <clears throat> the uh, decree of heroic virtues by our uh, uh, former uh, Pope John Paul II in 1987. And then on September 1 of 1988, uh, she was beatified again, obviously, by uh, John Paul II. Do you know the miracle that helped no, promote her? No, I don't. I, I just learned this. Um, there was a woman suffering from in-stage cancer and was given up on by her doctors and sent home to die. And so that night, uh, three elderly women who were watching her throughout her agony were praying in shifts, and they were invoking Josepha for her healing. And when there was no hope, and it was expected that this person would die at dawn, all of a sudden the patient sits up in bed and, and asks for food and was instantly cured. And she had been praying to... Uh to, uh, to Blessed Josepha. Josepha. Yes, it was amazing. And I think there's a second one that's being uh, looked at now of a, a young Valencian that was cured spontaneously um, after his family sought the protection of Josepha. And that, I think, happened in 2005. Mm-hmm. So I know Spain is on to this, this Blessed and looking for her canonization as a saint. Well, no doubt the greatest miracle in the life of any saint is their life itself. Uh, and in um, this particular uh, research that we did, did on her, uh, Blessed Josepha is without a doubt an example of, for all who are called to a life of holiness, uh, a life without abandoning secular society, without leaving their home, their family, or their professional work. And from the um, um, effort at uh, examining her for the heroic virtues, there is a, um, a quote from the general promoter of the faith, Monsignor Petty, at the conclusion of the theological uh, consult, it says, Josefa Navarro-Gerbez is an exceptional mistress of secular holiness, a model of Christian life and her, her heroic simplicity, a model of parish life. Her entire life proves how one can reach holiness in all states of life in a total consecration to God and in selfless love for one's brothers and sisters even while living in the world. Without extraordinary gifts and without dazzling events in her life, the servant of God was an exceptional woman in her genuine simplicity as a daughter of the people. She carried out her duties faithfully in intense union with God in the midst of the ordinary circumstances of her working life. I think that's a great sort of synopsis of who this person is. Before we uh, take our break and we go into some of the details uh, all of that life represented in that quick synopsis. I just wanted to um, 
give this quote, which I, I found in uh, researching her, which I think is very powerful, very simple, as was so much of her life. Um, but this is a quote that she was uh, fond of saying. She would look at her daughters, the, the women who came to her for instruction embroidery and obviously for catechetical instruction, and she would say, sanctify yourself and sanctify others. You know, Francis, so often we think that our spiritual journey is about sanctifying ourselves, about us becoming holy, about saving ourselves. And, of course, it's a much larger call than that. Yes, love God and love neighbor. We have to reach out. Our life has to be a witness. Our life has to be, it has to bear fruit. Yes, And absolutely. it bears fruit in other lives, those who come into contact with us, those who witness uh, how we live out our vocation, uh, and those who may benefit on occasion, as was the case for so many in her life, uh, who benefit from what she had to say. Because what she lived, of course, uh, supported very well what it is that she had to say in her um, school of embroidery. Well, I think that we ought to take our break now, and we'll come back, and we'll get into more of the details of her life. So okay. please join us in just a few minutes. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, we'd like to pick up on a couple of quotes that Josepha offered that um, are, are short and to the point. One of them is, search for holiness by simplicity. Now, you know, often, Mark, you have uh, really helped us flesh out that theme, simplicity, because I know Blessed Elizabeth the Trinity, that was a big theme with her, but, but Josepha does it here, too. Search for holiness by simplicity. And this one, I want you to comment on this. Reach holiness no matter what the cost. Yeah, she really is challenging us. And again, we have to be reminded, this is a woman who lived a very simple life herself. Some might say a bit of a recluse. I mean, in her home each day, she entertained a number of young women, many of whom, uh, by the way, went off to live a married life. Uh, A number of them entered the convent. In fact, there's a quote later on in the article about a local archbishop saying, what kind of town is this that produces so many vocations to the convent? Right. She's like Uh, a pre-novitiate in her home. In in, in her own home, exactly. Uh, But this idea of, um, uh, you know, eliminating the cost, uh, you know, what what profit a man to uh, have the whole world, but, you know, lose, lose, uh, in my own phrase, that that relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, There is no cost that is greater. There is nothing in our lives that is of more importance than our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, than growing in love. That's our call to holiness. And ironically, she says the way there, we say ironically because it seems so inconsistent with the way the world looks at things. But the irony is, how do we get there? She says through simplicity. Now, our own uh, Mother Teresa of Avila would would also use the word humility and detachment. Mm-hmm. But, but largely the same thing. Simplicity. What does that mean? Boiling everything down to its essence. You know, she uses this other quote uh, a little bit later. My ideal is not to lengthen my life, but to sanctify my life. You can tell she's the daughter of St. John of the Cross, can't oh, you? Absolutely. I mean, she wants yeah. to go straight up Mount Carmel, um, you know, at the quickest pace possible. And, you know, isn't that great that she's encouraging us? She doesn't want us to entertain the distractions. And I think that's that's the real message of the simplicity of her life that we just mentioned. You know, I had asked the question again. These are challenging questions, so we can only ask and answer this for ourselves. But how much of our daily life for each of us is about acquiring comfort, relaxation, um, the the things, and I don't mean the material things. I think, Francis, our call to Carmel teaches us, and I know many of our listeners uh, have a similar perspective, that we won't find peace and joy in the material uh, acquisition uh, of things, uh, but how much of our life, nonetheless, is designed to achieve a certain level of comfort or balance or stability, uh, length of days? You know, how much do we invest in, in personal health now and medications and all these other things that are really, if you boil them down to their essence, what are they about? They're about trying to make this life that we're leading um, easier for us, uh, more comfortable, um, something that we want to enjoy and hold on to. And she's certainly not saying life is drudgery, but she's saying boil it down to its essence. Nothing is as important as the cost you would pay for holiness. Nothing uh, is as important as the simplicity that we must acquire in our hearts. And nothing uh, is more important in our work than to use it to sanctify ourselves and to sanctify others. 
And as any good Carmelite, she is working on practicing those evangelical councils. As all all Catholics are called to live out the evangelical councils um, and these theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, and the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And as we Carmelites know, these lead to self-denial, to abandonment, to surrendering, um, all these things that we have talked about through so many of our Carmelite saints. Um, and and it's, it starts from the very simple seeds of faith, hope, and love. And she has a great quote about the will. Of course, we know it's the will that drives human behavior. At the, at the end of the day, <clears throat> it is our will that determines our thoughts, it determines our actions, it determines uh, the, uh, the desires of our hearts. She says, we have to twist our will in order to make it loose uh, uh, lose rather all that is not God's will. And again, you're right there. She's certainly a daughter of St. John of the Cross, isn't she? You know, conforming the will starts with overcoming the will to some extent. You know, Paul would say uh, conquering it. Exactly. Um, and, and we have to, just like any good athlete in preparation, just like any good student uh, preparing for the test, we have to exercise the will. We have to uh, master it, and this comes through the very uh, um, uh, details that you just outlined, Francis, of detachment, of um, acceptance of our uh, trials in life, of um, you know humility. All of those virtues that we seek to acquire allow us then to overcome our will. Practicing. Uh, mortifications and penance are all part of that. You know, when I read that quote about <clears throat> twisting the will in order to lose whatever is not of God's will, I coming right off of Good Friday uh, just recently, it made me ponder, you know, Christ on the cross, you know, twisting and in, in wreathing in the, the agony and the pain, and, you know, how that is what doing our own will does. It it perverts us. It twists us. And so as we can uh, simplify and just do God's will instead of our own will, then, you know, we will be more straight. <laughs> no matter how admirable the things that we desire may appear to be on the surface, you know, so many people become involved in in uh, works of charity within the church, and that's a an admirable thing. But at some point, God's going to wean us from um, sort of wanting to direct our own holiness to his taking over the direction of our holiness. And she says here, um, the fulfillment of our duties is the way, the way to holiness. The degree of love with which we comply is the measure of the virtue of our souls. Yes, how well we cooperate with God's will. Exactly, and, and um, you know, so often what will happen, this is a good lesson in the spiritual life, one I've had to learn and will learn, unfortunately, again, uh, because I'm a slow learner, uh, but that is we'll become involved in ministry. Again, an admirable uh, pursuit uh, or, or works of charity in the church, and immediately something will happen. We'll get uh, resistance or pushback or criticism even. And the degree to which we become sort of perturbed by that or set off balance by that is the degree to which it was actually us who was, you know, doing the work. In other words, we weren't giving it over to the Lord, but we were sort of the center of that. And the Lord has to slowly, patiently, compassionately, and lovingly reveal to us when I want to 
uh, have you fulfill my will, I will express my will. And, and he doesn't want a sort of taking control. And this is what she's saying. In the very simple duties of our life, when they're fulfilled with love and they're fulfilled in a way that um, pleases the Lord, then they lead to our sanctification. And this could be your domestic duties. It could also be your health. Um, from what we've read, she was sick from age 30 on, and it doesn't say in the article we have that, you know, what that was. But nevertheless, she offered that sickness up in union with our Lord. And of course, also her labors, uh, of, of all that she did visiting the sick, helping the orphans, uh, helping to bring peace between families in the neighborhood that were warring with each other. And, um, you know, in just every, all the little details of everyday life that all of us have. So she's placing her trust in God's providence and responding to it as he places it in her hands. Yeah, her life was a great example of uh, the fruit, right, uh, of her holiness. In other words, we begin the path of holiness uh, largely so that we acquire the virtues and and the uh, um, example and, and we model holiness. But then you will begin to see that playing out in the relationships uh, in your life, or maybe even uh, people you don't know, uh, who, as in her case, came to her and and sought her counsel on spiritual matters, even parish priests, um, w- when she'd been well established, and it was uh, evident that the people that were spending time with her were becoming more holy. A parish priest began to visit her and say, "You know what's going on? What is it you're sharing?" And they would engage her in theological discussions. Of course, she was not trained in theology; she was not a theologian by any stretch of the imagination. Um, her theology came from her time in prayer, yes. which, by the way, she spent a good deal of time in a prayer. A great time day. of, of deal, um, a great deal of time in prayer indeed. And, you know, here we are coming up to Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday. And um, this, one of the things that Josepha said was, Nobody should distrust God because they see their own sins. You know, because so many times we get discouraged looking at ourselves. But like Teresa Valva, you know, turn your eyes on Christ. And Josephus says, our trust does not rely on who we are, but on God, on his love and his mercy that he has for us. Yeah. A great message for, you know, those of us who are continually failing in that effort, because we all do, um, is to realize that somebody who... Uh, modeled the virtuous behavior first uh, acknowledged with uh, um, her being uh, uh, acknowledged as uh, a venerable and then later uh, beatified as a blessed. Um, her life in and of itself is a model, and yet she can counsel us in this. She says, we know we're going to fall. We know that we're going to uh, fall short of, uh, of God's uh, call for us, but we shouldn't lose faith in that because our faith is, as you just read, Francis, it's not in us. It's in God. Yeah, and if we look at ourselves and, and what we're messing up with, then we're, we're going to encourage ourselves to be despairing. But no, no, no. We turn our eyes and face on Christ and be encouraged of his great love and this merciful love that stoops down to lift us up. And, and I often think, well, who but our God can make such good come out of such a mess? <laughs> Well, she goes on to say, we are, this is a very powerful sentence. I know I've heard this before, uh, and I'm not sure the context, but um, uh, this is a direct quote from her as well. We are what we are before God. We ought to do everything with great purity of intention. If afterwards we are scorned, we must keep silent without arguing, even if we are 
humanly right. Oh, get that one. <laughs> so she's raised the bar for us here again, and this is uh, so uh, reminiscent of St. John of the Cross. Um, it doesn't matter that we may have to suffer, even if we are right. Um, the point is, if we have consecrated ourselves to God, if we've given ourselves over and accepted everything that comes into our life, uh, then she says we are only what we are before God, not what we think ourselves to be, not what other people may tell us that we are, not certainly uh, what Satan would love to tell us that we are, but we are only what we are before God. And we need to be, um, as John of the Cross would say, naked in faith before God. We need to stand there in in uh, uh, complete abandonment, but with complete faith in his mercy. And, you know, we don't know how well we love God, uh, but we do know how well we love neighbor. And so Josepha, in loving others on behalf of God, uh, proved her love for God. And and this comes from her conviction that God is in all. God is the father of all the children, and all the children are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And, you know, if we could just really take that one thing and just... Um, Look at our relationships with others. Look at the person you work with that you really care the least about and maybe, you know, see Christ in them as see them as your sister, your brother and love them in Christ. You know, she had an, uh, a brother, a younger brother we mentioned, Vincente, who was a widower. And he then later in life came to live with her in her grandmother's uh, home where she was living and was not particularly nice to her. He apparently had a rather difficult attitude and a rather difficult uh, relationship with her. Uh, but nonetheless, she accepted him, and she no, loved him, and she took him in. No doubt she says, mm, a challenge from the Lord. This is my opportunity to prove my love for God. How well can I love Vincente, you know, um, despite his lack of love for me, you know? Well, and we're reminded of that scripture verse from First John 4.20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And that beautifully leads into this next quote of hers. Let us conform ourselves to the sacrificial love of Jesus revealed in his passion. You must carry your cross, fulfilling your duties as required by God. Suffer with love. Okay, because the love makes it easier, right? So suffer with love. Take advantage of all uncomfortable situations. That reminds me of St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart that mm -hmm. we had talked about. Take advantage of all uncomfortable situations. Love, love, and suffer in silence. Love is proven in sacrifice. Sacrifice your desires. There Ooh. again, echoing St. John of the Cross. But this idea of love and suffer in silence, so... Uh, anathema, if I can use that word, <laughs> inconsistent with the mindset of the modern world. Isn't it, Francis, that, right. uh, oh, no, I, I need to defend my rights. I have uh, every right to speak out for myself. Or if I've been wronged, I have to correct that wrong. Or if I'm uh, suffering, I need to alleviate my suffering. I need to alleviate it. There are so many means now for our alleviation, whether it might be uh, through medication or through uh, less productive means. but And uh, we're not saying not to get medication. No, okay. no, 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 absolutely not. But but we are saying, and she is saying, this is the challenge now. In fairness, um, we are all uh, exposed to the opportunities for love. 
We don't all respond in the same way. We should be very uh, forthright about that. Not everybody responds to Christ's call in the same way. Uh, but she says, love, love and suffer in silence. Accept the circumstances of your life. She accepted the difficulty her brother imposed on her, and I'm sure uh, there were many uh, contentious uh, discussions about the rights of ownership and and uh, so forth uh, with regard to the property and, and whatnot. Uh, but nonetheless, she accepted all that. She lived through it. She continued to fulfill her vocation, which was to run this simple school in her house and to teach young women uh, the value of virtue and how to live out a virtuous life. Now, if we go into her prayer life, we know she had a very deep interior life, um, that uh, she had a conviction that God was one in three, one God with three natures, and that he lives within, within our souls in grace. And she fully lived out this counsel of Jesus Christ, which comes from John twenty four twenty three, Who loves me will be loved my, by my Father. We will come to him and will make in him our home. And I know the Carmelites are all reading as, as the order progresses towards uh, the fifth centenary of St. Teresa of Avila's birth. We're all reading the book Interior Castle right now. And, of course, this quote uh, will come to make our home in him. You know, that remel- reminds me of that interior dwelling place. <laughs> Of that interior castle. Yeah, she says, let us acknowledge throughout the day, let us acknowledge the presence of God. You know, she would, it it is said that she might be in ecstasy, but still able to fulfill her duties. Uh, She could be seen, for example, uh, in, in a state of ecstasy, but nonetheless going about chores of, in, in, within the home. That's the Martha uh, and the Mary thing happening all at once. Exactly, exactly right. She goes on and says, and let us have much devotion to the Holy Trinity who lives in our soul in grace. And of course, this reflects, uh, again, as you mentioned earlier, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Finding that interior uh, dwelling place, finding that um, um, spot deep within ourselves. This is the whole call of uh, a contemplative prayer. This is the um, the invitation. I was going to say challenge, but I paused and thought, no, the invitation uh, to a deep interior life. Here is a woman, it is said, who nourished her interior life with the Eucharist and with prayer. Oral prayer, vocal prayer, which she learned from her mother, and of course, mental prayer, which she later learned from the parish priest. Now, what do we mean by mental prayer? We talk about this so often, and it's important to to clarify. Mental prayer is obviously using the mind, and it may be in, in the early stages engaging the imagination, but it is really about uh, creating a sense of devotion and desire and affinity for the one we love. Teresa of Avila okay. says, of course, mental prayer, nothing more than uh, spending time with the one uh, we know loves us. Uh, yeah, an Lord intimate conversation. But, you know, that conversation can also become a silent conversation, as in that silent gaze of love. And that is mental prayer, too, which opens us up to the mystical contemplative prayer. And, you know, uh, Josepha has a, a challenge for us. Um, she loved the Feast of the Pentecost, And one of the ways she prepared for that was by fasting for the three days 
uh, prior to that. And she would organize groups of prayer and penance for those three days. And so I'm like putting it out there to our listeners. Um, maybe you want to take the, up that challenge uh, for this coming Pentecost as we head. We've got 50 days mm-hmm. um, now as we head toward that uh, great feast day. And, and follow uh, her in this devotion to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, she did other practices. And these practices, these devotions are ways to stay rooted in the faith that fire up the flame of love within us so that the the flame of love doesn't go out like for instance um like many of you she prayed the angelus at noon in fact they would pray a hail mary at the beginning of every hour i think in her little school um and of course they would do the rosary and and one of these things she said repeatedly was prayer prayer Pray for a while each day, and life will be easier and bearable. Stop right there, because I think we have to, you know, we've talked a little bit about suffering, and we've talked about <laughs> penance, and we've talked about mortification, and yes, we have to accept all that, but let's not lose the message here, right? Uh, for our listeners' benefit, the message is, life will be easier and bearable. Does that mean our problems get taken away? We've heard this so many times. No. Um, in certain cases, of course, if we pray to be relieved of a burden, whether it's a health issue or a financial burden, uh, maybe the sickness of a, f- a family member or relative, that may happen. God may choose to intervene that way. But almost uh, better than that is if God decides to give us the strength to bear uh, that additional burden, to lift that cross, to have faith, to have hope in the midst of that trial and suffering. And, maybe and that's to, what she's asking for. And, and maybe to give us peace <laughs> so that we don't lash out and create more havoc in the situation. Maybe to enhance our perspective so that we can see the woundedness of where somebody's coming from or the woundedness within us that needs healing. So the prayer uh, really opens us up to other possibilities, other perspectives perspectives that will help us calm the passions and and act in charity you know be thinking about what's the most loving way to handle this for the benefit of the situation but for me you know myself for uh, our own sanctification yes, exactly. that's right and again the fruit of her ministry is so important and i'd ask again challenge ourselves look at our own uh, walk and say all right maybe i feel like i'm making some progress in the path to holiness But then ask the next question, are the people around you making similar progress because of your interaction with them? Are family members saying, you know, I'm seeing something different in you and I'm going to respond a little better? Again, I'm going to look to our Holy Father today and say, um, quoting this woman who I spoke to earlier in the day who said, you know, this man makes me want to live a better life. He makes me recognize that uh, maybe uh, adopting a more humble demeanor in my daily uh, life would be a more appropriate way to uh, uh, conduct my affairs. When someone says something like that about us, we can tell that we're beginning to make progress not only in our own holiness, but in influencing others. And then she goes on about prayer. Learn to speak with God without words, and in this way, practice the prayer of meditation. Be faithful and reverent before the Lord. Of course, this is towards her devotion to Jesus in the Eucharist. My daughter, she says, we do not have to fear the difficulties of the road we have taken. It is true that it is rough cobblestones full of trouble and sacrifice, but it is also true that our divine captain traveled it during his life, passion, and his death. 
So she's calling us back, you know, a reminder. Yes, she says, life will be easier. It'll be bearable. Why? Because our master, our Lord, our captain has gone before us. My daughter, she says, fortitude is necessary to undertake the road to union with God. We must also accept that what he sends or permits for our purification, such as discomfort, sickness, and scorn, must be borne with fortitude. Yes, and that leads to another quote. You must carry your cross and fulfill your own duty as God has ordered. Single persons as single persons and married persons as married persons. Right, so she's broadening that audience for us a little bit. We know, of course, she was a a consecrated virgin, but also a secular, someone who lived in the world. She had uh, chores and responsibilities and financial burdens and so much of what uh, so many of us face. And nonetheless, her motto again, sanctify yourself sanctify others. Uh, There is this great phrase, which I like. The word doesn't come up enough in spiritual discussions, and it needs to. Um, The uh, sentence is, nobody guessed that she was watchful over her own passion. So we know she struggled with, you know, um, uh, trials internally and externally as well, because she behaved very naturally, very smoothly, and with great equanimity. Equanimity is a great word, and we need to spend more time with it. Uh, Very simply, um, the definition of equanimity is a state of psychological stability and composure which is undisturbed by experience uh, or exposure to emotions, pain, or other phenomena that may cause others to lose balance or even their mind. The virtue and the value of equanimity is extolled by all of the major religions. What a great word for us to yeah. focus and spend a little time on. We should never lose that exterior equanimity, or right. for that matter, the interior equanimity. I think of serenity of spirit here. Yeah. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, with, with Pope Francis, we're thinking of St. Francis of Assisi very much these days and his great serenity and his prayer for serenity, I think, fits in beautifully right here. So... Um, we're going to have to wrap up here before long. What else do we want to hit before we finish our program here? Well, again, I want to uh, emphasize the simplicity of this woman. Uh, our devotion to God, she says, must exclude all mundane customs. You were asking for clarification on simplicity. I'm going to let her offer it uh, because I think her words uh, speak so clearly on this issue. Our devotion to God must exclude all mundane customs. That is the attachment to things or to people who do not let us fulfill God's will. What a challenge that it, it, it in and of <laughs> itself. You know, again, um, uh, Faustina, Saint Faustina, teaches us this. And if you've read her diary, um, the uh, inordinate attachments that she had to people, whom she very genuinely loved, by the way. And these were in, in no way inappropriate relationships, but the Lord would appear to her and say, you know, these are distractions. These need to be uh, sort of dealt with in your life. If you're really about focusing on union with me, we've got to do a lot of work to clean up uh, the relationships and the distractions in our life. Does that mean we don't fulfill the obligations as spouse, as mother, as, as worker? No, not in any way. In fact, she would say just the opposite. Fulfilling those responsibilities is the center of holiness. What she's saying, though, is put these things in proper order. Yes. Uh, to people who do not let us fulfill God's will, she says, the sensorial life or the sense life, uh, which opposes the holiness that God asks 
from us and the superficial life that looks for our own pleasure. Yes, yeah, that call to the interior life, to the higher part of life, to the, the dignity of who we are, made in the image and likeness of God. You know, we couldn't leave a discussion on a Carmelite without uh, just a brief reflection on her devotion to Mary. Uh, of course, we mentioned that she'd lost her own mother at the age of 13, and um, she has this simple prayer to Mary um, in her childhood. Mary, she says, Mary, my mother, teach me to be faithful and to please God. Virgin Mary, make me pure, chaste, good, and saintly. Come to the Blessed Mother, mother she then uh, counsels her daughters, so that she can teach you and help you to be faithful to God. Hail Mary was said, as you mentioned, Francis, every hour. She also dedicated all of her Saturday morning prayers to the Blessed Mother, a tradition in the church well established. And the entire month of May was celebrated in her little workshop school with songs and prayers and offerings to the Virgin Mother. We're a month away. Uh, We'll be talking about Mary, no doubt, in the month of May. But um, great lesson from a great um, saint in Carmel, a blessed uh, Josepha, Uh, who teaches us about the devotion to Mary. We uh, could do no uh, better, I think, than closing this program with re-emphasizing devotion to our Blessed Mother in this month and in every month uh, and closing in prayer. Yes, this particular prayer actually was compiled from some of her quotes and from a few of the articles on her life. So let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Blessed Josepha Navagrabes, model of holiness in the midst of the world. You who faithfully assumed and lived out the call to holiness through your union with God in love by faithfully living out his divine will in your secular state in life, in Carmel, help us to answer the call you yourself fulfilled in your own words, sanctify yourself and sanctify others. Help us to search for holiness by simplicity. Help us to reach holiness no matter what the cost. We are what we are before God. Please help us to do everything with great purity of intention. If afterwards we are scorned, help us to keep silent without arguing, even if we are humanly right. We see our sins, but help us not to distrust God because of them. As you have said, our trust does not rely on who we are, but in God's merciful love for us. Through your intercession, obtain for us the grace to conform ourselves to the sacrificial love of Jesus revealed in his passion. O most holy trinity, through the hands of Our Lady Mount Carmel, we thank you for the gift of holiness that blessed Josepha Naval Grabez modeled for us. Through your grace, may we follow her and gain admittance to heaven to be with you forever. Well, thank you again for joining us on Carmelite Conversations and Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations 